Decorating the tree. Yeah, what about you, Judy? What was your favorite part? <laughs> yeah, mommy was your favorite part? Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, so here's the next question. What do you guys want for Christmas? Um, um, Elsa and dolls. What do you want? I want an electric motorcycle. Electric motorcycle? That's my son. What do you want for Christmas? A tablet. A tablet? All right. Amy, what do you want for Christmas? You don't know? All right, so here's the last question, and then I've got a surprise for you guys. What do you think hope is? What do you think hope is? Anybody want to take a guess? What is hope? You don't know? Grady, what were you doing in the back with your fingers? crossing them? Is that hope? Fingers crossed? Yeah. yeah? What do you think hope is, Carolee? Taking pictures? Yeah, that's close. Do you want to take a guess? No. Junie, what do you think hope is? Are you hoping that I don't ask you any more questions? No! <laughs> 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 All right, well, hey, look, I have Pastor Gabe's going to talk for a really long time. That's what I do. But I have some presents for you guys to keep you entertained while I'm up here talking a lot. Does that sound good? Here you go. Here we go. June, do you want one? Here you go. Grady, do you want one? Yeah. Amy, do you want one? Come here. All right, you guys can go back to your seats. Thank you very much. <laughs> Any adults want one? Did that keep you entertained? <clears throat> so as we get started, the, the theme that we're going to cover this morning as we start the Advent series is hope, right? So like what is hope, what isn't it? And, and so uh, how many people just curious have ever celebrated Advent? Like your church growing up, you went through Advent. Okay, who didn't? That's probably a better question. Uh, so let me quickly define for us what Advent is, and then we'll uh, get into the text and, and really just try to answer this one question as we go through these four pillars of Advent. Uh, hope, joy, love, peace. What is hope, and what does that mean for us this morning? So 
the Advent is just typically uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, right? So the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we're going to stop, we're going to examine, we're going to prepare our hearts for Christ's coming. And, and what that looks like is, has a bunch of different traditions. Um, some it's the candles. Did y'all light the candles in your house growing up? Okay, so you have the four candles that you light all the way leading up to Christmas and have a little devotional with it. Um, some people do the, uh, like the, the open up the doors and there's little candy. Does anyone do that one? So like in the greatest Christmas movie ever, Christmas Vacation, that's what they do every day leading up to is just opening those doors, right? Um, everybody agree, Christmas Vacation, best movie ever? Thank you. Carlton, what's your favorite movie? You would. <laughs> you would. Uh, so, so regardless of the tr- traditions that we go through, but here's what Advent is. It's a significant time in the life of the church. It's an opportunity for believers to remember God's promise to, that he sent one who would overcome sin and death forever. God promised a Savior, and he kept that promise perfectly. So, so Advent is just the Latin word for coming or arrival. So we're kind of living in this already but not yet tension where Christ has already come, right? I mean, this is what we're celebrating, uh, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Christ, uh, which is God becoming fully man, fully God here on earth, born in a major, that story. But we also can look forward to Christ coming again to reconcile, to redeem, to make this fallen earth new again. And as believers, we get to celebrate that. We get to enjoy that time. So, so here we are right in the middle, right in the middle, stuck between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And I just want to read this quote that will be on the screen behind me just as a way to wrap our minds around the season of Advent. It's about stepping into the shoes of the Israelites, longing and crying for the Messiah to come. It's about reflecting on our sin and shortcomings and our need for a Savior. It's about looking around at our broken world and hoping for the second coming of Jesus. And once we get to Christmas Day, the celebration of Jesus' birth become, becomes that much more spectacular and meaningful. Because what we have is a culture of individualism. What we have is a culture of, of a comfort, of consumerism, that, that Christmas has, has far too often changed and morphed into something that is not biblical for us. And I'm not flaming toys, and I'm not flaming the hype of Christmas, but that anticipation, that expectation that we all feel is in us for a reason. And it's not because we get presents under the tree, but it's because we're we're getting closer to the celebration of Christ coming for us. So that anticipation you feel is great. That excitement that you feel is great. But over this next four weeks, what we're going to try to do is wage war against the consumerism mentality of Christmas. We're going to try to wave, wave war against the individualism that, that takes Christ and puts him over here and say, hey, no, no, but we can do both and, right? Like, it's all about me and it's all about Jesus. It's all about making memories with my family and it's all about Jesus. But, but what would it look like if, if it was all about Jesus and everything permeated from that? Because what we'll see over time and as we pray, as we consider, as we hope, as we dream about what Christmas could be, the reality is it's way different. The reality is we, we have made Christmas into something that, that it shouldn't be. That the way that Christians celebrate Christmas should look different from what the world says. And far too often those lines get blurred. So, 
So, so let's look. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to read. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to use the, the story of Luke just to kind of be the backdrop for uh, understanding and preparing our hearts for the Christmas season. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to read 26 through 38. 26 through 38. And with this idea of hope, be thinking of the word hope and what hope is, what hope means as we get into this text because I don't think it means taking pictures. That was my daughter that said that, I think. All right, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came up to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. If you're underlining, if you're taking notes, verse 37 is the linchpin for us this morning. For nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So let us pray this morning. Our Father, we're so grateful uh, for the season uh, that we get to stop, that we get to long for your coming. We get to celebrate and remember your first coming and, and let that grow the anticipation of your second coming. And so, Father, this morning as we uh, are coming off Thanksgiving, as we've, uh, most of us had an incredible time with our family and friends, uh, let us view all of those through the lenses of you and your kingdom. Father, that one day that is what it will be forever. It will be joy. It will be celebration. It will be with you. And so, Father, this morning, as we look, as we try to define hope, God, would you open up our eyes? Would you open up our hearts so that we can see it clearly? It's your name we pray. Amen. Now, if, if you're new to church, you maybe not have heard that story before, but, but most of us have read that. Most of us, every Christmas, we get here, we understand it, we read the same story. Uh, but, but here's what I want us to do, just for a minute. If we can kind of go into the emotion of this, which... I don't want to get too emotive. There's a slippery slope there. But if we can get to the emotions of what just happened, instead of reading words on a page, here's what we get. We get a terrified teenager that has no hope. I mean, culturally, what just happened to her in this day could have been a death sentence. And she had, she had no hope. What, what was she going to say? Hey, Joseph, can I talk to you? Uh, can you convey this message to your dad? Um, when, when we have our wedding... Uh, I'm going to need a bigger wedding dress because I'm pregnant. And, and I know, I know, Joseph, don't, don't freak out. Uh, it's from God. 
Now, just put yourself in that position. Would you believe that? Would you? And, and Joseph had every right to go, no, no, no. I mean, we see later in John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus to be stoned to death. So Mary had no hope. Mary was terrified. Who was she going to turn to? She was going to be an embarrassment to her family. She was going to be an embarrassment to her betrothed husband. She was definitely going to be an embarrassment to her future family. So what was she to do? If we were to put our, situ- our minds, our hearts into that situation with Mary, we would come to the conclusion that there would be no hope. It would be, the only hope we would have would be somehow we could convince Joseph that, that this isn't what it seems. But what we see is completely different. We see that Mary had hope. I mean, we read this story and how it ends. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is hope. Whatever you want to do with me, I'm, I'm fine with that. That is the definition of hope. So how did Mary get it? What, what, does she ha- what does she have? What hope does she have? Where is she putting it in? Where does it come from? What does hope look like? That's all the questions that we should be asking from this story. And as our family group went through it on Monday night, we kind of got all curious about verse 37. For nothing will be impossible. Now, it would make more sense semantically if we would say nothing is impossible for God, right? Nothing has been, nothing is, nothing will ever be. But why in this sense is it future tense? For nothing will be impossible for God. And why was this good news for Mary? That nothing will be impossible. And there's a huge clue here that we've got to circle back to. But the most pressing thing that we see that's going to help us give a biblical definition for what hope is, is this seemingly insignificant story about Elizabeth that's going right next to the story about Mary. So Elizabeth, right, John the Baptist's mother, is now pregnant, but she was barren. She was older in age. There's no way that she was going to get pregnant, and now she's pregnant. And not only pregnant, she's six months ahead of where Mary is. Now, why is this good news? Why does this bring hope? Because in the moment of hopelessness for Mary, she can look at her surroundings and go, if God did this, God is surely with me. That in the mess of her life, in, in her trying to figure out what's happening, that she could look at Elizabeth and go, okay, hold on, hold on. If God can work this miracle, maybe this really is a miracle to me. And simultaneously, Mary knew all the prophets of old. She knew the stories growing up. She heard them. They were recited. When she went into the tabernacle, she heard these things preached, proclaimed, that the Messiah will come. So what gave Mary hope was looking at her surroundings and seeing God at work and looking in the past and seeing that God is at work. So so if I can take a stab at a definition for us this morning, biblical hope is looking back and around to all that God has done so that we can have certainty of the future. Biblical hope is looking back and around to all that God has done so that 
we can have a certainty of the future. So that we see this future tense that nothing will be impossible for God. Mary, remember what you've been heard. Mary, look at what's happening around you. Mary, trust me that nothing will be impossible for me in the future. That everything that I said will come true. Biblical hope looks back, look around, so that we can be certain of what's to come in the future. So here's what I want to do just really quickly. I want to define and work through this idea of biblical hope. Then I want to look at how this kind of juxtaposes over here to what earthly hope looks like. And then just give a few quick pointers of how we can wrestle with, how can we remember biblical hope in this season. So so biblical hope, I've given the definition, but there's two quantifying factors that we've got to see. First, we see this will be. That hope is always future tense. Hope is always looking forward. Hope is always saying, this will come to pass. This will be true. And even if you just look at this passage alone, will be is a common refrain going through this. You will have a son. He will be on the throne of David. He will reign forever. But here's where I think biblical hope and earthly hope really starts to fall apart, is that there's certainty here. That there's no fingers crossed here. And we'll get into this in a second. So if, again, if you have your Bibles, flip with me real quick to Isaiah. I want you guys to see two passages, Isaiah and Jeremiah, some little Old Testament Bible drills. Because I want us to see, I want us to get this framework. Because if there's one pressing thing that's going to allow us not to see what hope really looks like, it's the certainty piece. It's the certainty piece. So Isaiah 7 is the first passage, Isaiah 7, 14, and then Jeremiah 33. Isaiah 7, 14, and Jeremiah 33. So Isaiah 7, 14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Will and shall, three times in one passage. Jeremiah 33, if you flip to that one, Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Now, just as we see Mary's story, as we read Isaiah, as we read Jeremiah, as we think through the lenses of biblical hope, is there any, any evidence of uncertainty in any of those passages? It may come to pass. If you feel like it, if all the ducks line up in a row, if I'm not doing anything that day, I might get off my throne and make sure this happens. But if football game's on, no promises. If I feel like helping you, I will. If not, I'm going to keep eating turkey. No, it's certainty. It will. It shall. Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. 
is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has a moral certainty in it. When the word says, when the Bible says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. And we know this. If you have parents, if you are a parent, how many times have we had to sit our kids down and say, listen, listen, have I ever let anything bad happen to you? Then trust me. Have I ever led you astray before? Then, then trust me. There's certainty into what's about to happen because of me. Because, son, I am here. Because, daughter, I care for you. And I'm not going to let anything happen to you. So when we think of the certainty of hope in this season, it's like God having that conversation with us. Hey, hey, there's certainty in this. I, I'm here. Look back. Has, have I ever let anything happen to you that I wasn't there for? Look around you. Do not see the promises of me splintered all through your universe. Then let the certainty of the future happen. But then we have to question, okay, if this is biblical hope, if it's certainty of the future, then, then what is earthly hope? And, and the easiest way to do that is to look at what the opposite of hope is. The opposite of hope is despair. Right? The opposite of hope is despair. And especially as human beings, but even more so as Americans, none of us want despair. None of us want hardship. None of us want hard times. And we're going to do everything in our power to keep ourselves from living in a season of despair. So I'm not saying that the things you hope for are bad. Some of us in this room, you're hoping to graduate. You're hoping to land a career. You're hoping to change careers. You're hoping um, to find a spouse. You're hoping to have kids. You're hoping to retire soon. All those hopes are incredible. But what is the motivation behind those hopes? It's to escape despair. It's to escape hardship. So we're so afraid of what could be that we try to control every situation. We try to manipulate every single thing so that we don't go into a season of despair. And when we start to control, we start to take the reins out of God's hands and put them in ours, church, that's never going to end well. So the quantifying factor here is where are you placing your hope? Because when we're so afraid of despair, when we take control, we're not putting our hope in the Lord. We're not putting our hope in the promises of God. We're putting the hope in ourselves. So yes, we are running from despair, so we try to control everything, but, but maybe even more so, we have no patience. Zero patience. And I, I want to be careful here, because some of this is just the culture around us. That yes, there is sin to be present. I'm not making excuses for us. But we have no concept for what it means to wait. I mean, just think of all the common graces that the Lord has given us, right? That, that we don't have to get on a horse and buggy and drive across the countryside to have Thanksgiving with our family. We can just hop on an airplane. That, that we don't have to wait until we have the money saved up to get on a boat to go across the sea to see our family members. We can hop on a plane, or even better yet, we can just FaceTime. We don't even have to wait more than two days for packages to arrive. What will you do during Thanksgiving, which is a scam. Amazon, I'm calling you out. Right? I mean, we, we just don't have to wait for anything. 
So when we look at the story of Mary, the first thing that we have to notice is, church, there's been nothing happening for 400 years. From the time the Old Testament ends to the time the New Testament begins, it is a season of roughly 400 years. They have been waiting. They have been longing. And when we have to wait more than 30 seconds, we're going to put our hope in ourselves and not in the Lord anymore. And church, that just should not be. So instead of looking back and around to all that God has done so that we can have certainty about the future, we impatiently attempt to control our own situation so that we can keep ourselves from despair, all the while driving ourselves faster to that end. What we don't realize we're doing is we're so afraid of despair. We take all of the things, all of the reins into our hands. We get so impatient. We can do this in ourselves and forget that we're driving even faster to the land of despair. We're driving even faster to where we don't want to be, which is hopeless. Because when we take the reins out of the one that has the certainty of the future and put it in ourselves, we're going to end up hopeless even faster. So Mary had hope because it will be. Because she could look back at the promises of her fathers. And she could look around and see that if Elizabeth is pregnant, then, then surely to goodness God is up to something. But I will be confident in the certainty of the future. I will have hope. So what then does it look like for us this morning as we consider hope moving into this Christmas season? Church, I just want to lay before you four quick things. Four quick things that, that maybe we can consider as we try to stir up and be more grounded and godly hope. The first thing that I would say is we've got to look at the book. We've got to look at the word of God. Romans 15.4 puts it this way. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That we might have a certainty of the future. How? How does God choose to go about that? What was written in former days was written for our instruction. So, so if we have hope, if we want to have hope that's based on what has happened in the past, how else do we know that better than reading the Word of God? If we want to have hope that's rooted in the character and nature of God our Father, how best can we do that apart from looking at the Word of God? It is very clear God has given us his word for our hope, for our joy, for our pleasure, so that we can know him in a deeper way. So once we look at the word, the second way I would say is just to encourage us in our hope is that we must know the source that will fill you. So, so where do we get hope? If we are lacking in hope this morning, what is the source? What is the well that we run to? And, and to keep this metaphor, that the Bible is the conduit, but, but what is flowing through the conduit? It's God himself. And I know this sounds overly cliche and overly simplistic, but please hear me. Do you have full confidence in God? Because if you don't, then there's no certainty in the future. Do you know who he is? Because if you don't, there's no certainty of the future. There, there's not a lot of things that I know, but I know my bride very well. I know her love for me, and I know my love for her. And that, to me, is certain. 
that there's no wandering in my mind because I know her. And if she put up with me yesterday when I was throwing hissy fits because I missed a deer at 20 yards, then I know she's here forever. I know you're not laughing at that. Church, too soon. Too soon. I will preach for the next four days if you laugh again at that. Because I know who she is, I know her heart, I have no doubt about the future. But can we say the same about our God? Because we know him, because we know his heart, we have no doubt about the certainty of the future. Last time I'll tell you to flip, but this is a longer passage I want us to see. Romans 15. Romans 15. I think it'd be beneficial for us to all see this together. Romans 15, we're going to read 8 through 13. Romans 15, 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Promises. Certainty of the future. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Verse 10. And again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse, here it is again, will come, even who arises to the rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit may ab- you may abound in hope. Let me read verse 13 one more time. May the God of hope fill you. Where does our hope come from? It's a gift from God. Where does our certainty from the future come from? From God himself. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing but hope comes for after we believe i mean here when you really start to think about it i mean think in your mind the moments where you were this your world was falling apart if it wasn't for the hope you had in god if it wasn't for the certainty of the future you have no idea what your life would come to and this is what the world goes through every day they have no hope they might pretend they do they're going to put their hopes in their possessions They're going to put their hope in relationships. But we all have lived long enough to know the possessions don't fulfill and relationships will let us down. We say it here often, and and spoiler alert, kids aren't paying attention, so that's okay. Everything you get this year for Christmas will end up in a landfill one day. It It just will. And probably sooner rather than later. Because they don't make things like they used to. I'm 33, I don't even really know what that means. Right? I'm always used to Ikea furniture. Nothing lasts more than two years. But, but we, we put all of our hope in this possession. And this is what, as, as we really think through the Advent season of Christ's coming, should, should really humble us and break our hearts. That the world around us that does not know God has no hope like we have hope. They have no certainty of the future because they believe there is no real future. And what we get to sit in, what we get to remember, is that God knows and it comes after belief. In, in just Christmas movies, and, and all, I love Christmas movies. 
But this is the linchpin for every Christmas movie, this idea of belief. Because we all struggle with belief. We all struggle with fully believing. I mean, think about it. Is there a, a root story in Elf about belief? Anyone know it? There's a catchphrase. What? The greatest way to spread Christmas cheer singing aloud for all to hear. We must believe. Or even, I mean, we can think the movie Santa Claus, which uh, I think is uh, up and coming for me. I, I just love Tim the Toolman Taylor. And all the processes, they're just trying to convince the mom and the stepdad that wears ugly sweaters that he really is, hey, will you believe that I really am Santa, that, that I'm not crazy. My dad is Santa. This, this idea has been hijacked by Christmas movies about this idea of belief. But for us to have hope in God, it has to come with belief. Do you believe God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do? Because if not, then, then there is no hope for us. But here, if, if I could just maybe say personally, out of these four, this next one is the one that, that I have to remind myself often. That we must see, we must understand that hope leaks that this isn't a one-time deal where we get hope and we're good for life. That the Lord is going to put us in situations, that the world is going to put us in situations where it's natural for hope to start leaking out of us. And if we're not careful, church, if we're not careful, we're going to end up in despair because we did not see the hope that was leaking out of us for months or for years. And we see this clearly in Psalm 42 as David is talking to himself about being hopeless. He says this, why are you downcast, O oh my soul, and why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation in my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. We've all had seasons where we, it's easy for us to hope. It's easy for us to trust the certainty of the future with God because it just makes sense. But if we're not spending time in the Word, if we're not growing in our knowledge of him, then that hope is going to be leaking out of us. And God's good grace, please hear me, not God's punishment, God's good grace is going to put you in a season where you need that hope more than ever to make you see that you don't have it. That he's going to push you back to the word. He's going to push you back to himself out of a good grace for you so that you can abound more in hope. One of the reasons here that we harp on family groups is for this reason alone. That we need community. We need people pressing into us. We need people calling us out that can spot the drift, that can spot the leak of hope running out of us and push us back to the word of Christ. And, and I'll end with this one. How do we have hope? How do we grow in hope? Let Christ this Christmas be your anchor. Hebrews 6, which will be there when we come back from Christmas break, Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, puts it this way. We have this, this being the promises of God, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So Christ, who has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, is the anchor that we hold on to. Our hope is settled in him. Because he came, because he lived a sinless life, because he died, and because he was resurrected. We have a certainty of the future. That all the promises 
will come true. So church, as we're living in 2020, the world desperately needs to hear this message of hope. I don't know if you have noticed it, but but there just seems to be a more clinging to Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. There seems to be a, I just don't hear much about shopping as much as family. I don't hear so much about the hype of Christmas celebrations, just wanting to be in community, wanting to be loved on and encouraged. And all this is because people are searching for hope, and we have that answer. So right after COVID-19 broke, John Piper wrote this book, about coronavirus and Christ. If you've never read it, it's fantastic. I would highly recommend that you read it. And I want to read a quote about hope from this. I think it'll be, yep. Hope is power, present power. Hopes keep families from killing themselves now. It helps people get out of bed and go to work now. It gives meaning to daily life, even lockdown, quarantine, stay-at-home life now. It liberates from the selfishness of fear and greed now. It empowers love and risk in taking sacrifice now. So as we enter into this Christmas Advent season, the question is simple, church. Where are we placing our hope? Where are we placing our hope? Is it into the certainty of the future of God? Or is it in possessions and people and positions and authority? Because all that stuff will lead to despair. It will. But we have the biblical definition based on what we've seen from Mary's life. That hope is looking back and around to all that God has done so that we can have certainty of the future. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for you, and we're grateful that we can look back, that we can study our word, that we can read all that you've done, that we can look around us and and hear stories of your faithfulness and your promises coming true over and over and over again. And that gives us hope to look forward into the future and trust you and understand that your ways are better than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That whatever comes to pass is good and right for us. Father, give us more of this hope. In this season, let this hope that we have be contagious. Let us not keep it in or hide it away, Father, but let us proclaim this good news everywhere. That our future is certain in you that our eternal state is forever solidified because of you, that everything that comes to pass in our life is a good, gracious gift from you. We don't have to worry about, we don't have to doubt, we don't have to fear despair, we don't have to wrestle with impatience because of you, because the hope we have in you. If you're in this room this morning, feel like your hope tank has been drained, that you would just empty. I pray two things for you. One, keep coming. Keep pressing in. Get involved with community. Let us speak into your life. And two, don't get mad at God. That he's brought you into this season for your good, for your joy. 
He's stripping away all the false hopes around you so that you can see the true hope, which is him, the anchor of our souls. So, Father, we love you. We're so grateful for the season. We're grateful for the lights and the trees and the celebrations and the dinners. Father, let this even more push to the hope and the joy that is found in knowing you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe out in the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe 
Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel, strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to Gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit, ruling our hearts alone by thine all sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne by thine all sufficient. Merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Praise God from Sings flow, praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise